Rot to righteousness tends to be long So keep your love on, on Welcome to the Get Your Love On podcast. This show is dedicated to the family of faith around the globe. In each episode, we punt phony religion and we learn how to simply walk with God every day. It's straightforward and it's straight from the word. We have free resources for you at getyourloveon.org that includes free Bible studies and videos to answer your questions and build your faith. And of course, we'd love to hear from you. You can always reach out and contact us at getyourloveon.org. We have an amazing episode for you, so let's go. Keep your love on, child. Let it shine bright. It is a marvelous thing to know God Almighty, isn't it? It just, it, it makes you want to jump out of bed and and enjoy everything that the Lord has given us. And then also offer that beautiful, wonderful peace of heart, mind, and soul to all those that are in our lives, too. This show is dedicated to the family of faith around the globe, sharing God's love through the truth of His Word. And I'm so glad to be on the side of truth and righteousness. And I love the whole truth and nothing but the truth. And so, yes, God does help me because of that. And, you know, just a little personal background. Today we have got, we've got a great show for you today. And a little personal background. I haven't really talked about it much, but I spent about a third of my life working in mainstream media, in newspaper, radio, and television, as a sincere journalist, as someone who uh, wanted to abide by the journalistic ethics. The first tenet of which is seek truth and report it. That's the first obligation of any ethical journalist, is just to seek truth and report it, which is why, again, Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. So I loved that. It was, it was ingrained in me as a, as a Christian to seek the truth because Christ is the truth. So anyway, uh, through those years and countless experience, I've, I've conducted hundreds of interviews of powerful businessmen, NFL owners, some of the most influential players in the world, some most influential individuals in the world. And through those interviews, it always struck me how Asking the right question would blossom into this beautiful conversation, and not only for myself, for the audience, but also for the individual being interviewed. There was, there was a, a wonderful discovery of knowledge, true knowledge, pure knowledge. And I watched that. And also through those years and countless uh, interviews and press conferences, I'd also observe a very unfortunate tendency of others to ask sort of stained questions, you know, questions that weren't based in a genuine curiosity, but instead um, traps. Yeah, they were questions that were designed, intentionally designed to catch someone in a disadvantage. Hmm. Why do you think people would do that if the, the first tenet of journalistic ethics is to seek truth and report it. Why would someone lay traps? Well, it's because those were actually disguised as lies. Yeah, they were, it's, they're trying to elicit lies and, and catch people in, in a disadvantage and it's wrong. They're lies disguised as an inquisition. The good news is though, I, I know my word. And so I would go to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 23. And it says, 
but foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strifes. Are we seeing this right now? I mean, we've been seeing it for decades. This this is a large part of why I left that media career is because of the strife that was being stirred up from foolish and frankly, very unlearned questions. Yeah. Isn't that neat, though, that the word of God had the answer the whole time? So as I was watching these things, I was never uh, sort of at a quandary. I was always, uh-uh, that's a foolish and unlearned question. Jeez. <laughs> so unlike school children, adults come up with actually very stupid questions, and a lot of them, and frequently. And it's peculiar to me is why, but it is in the word, so we're going to dive into the word here. And also, Christ dealt with this same thing. This, again, is nothing new. He dealt with this all the time. But just like in that journalism career or for those sincere journalists or for those sincerely seeking God, if we ask the right questions, we will get results. And if we ask the wrong questions, we'll end up on some hamster wheel of futility and running in circles, never actually making forward progress. So let's go again to 2 Timothy. This is an awesome book written by Apostle Paul. This is chapter 3. We'll start in verse 1. It says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Isn't that incredible that Paul knew exactly the deterioration that we are seeing right now? The word of God is complete and it is whole and it has our answers. As we seek God, as we pour ourselves into this and seek the word for our answers, we'll get them. Isn't that neat, though, that Paul called it out? Everything we see going on right now, Paul had a beat on it thousands of years ago because God is way ahead of Satan. He is way ahead of all Satan's ilk and his attempts to uh, destroy and divert people. But here it says, this is important. So Paul outlines these these traits of men. Okay, verse five here, it says, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. So they claim to be religious, but they don't know God. And they certainly deny the power of God through minimizing the word, through um, putting their own mind in it, conjecture, not understanding God's full authority. They have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. And from such, we should turn away because we want to live in God's full authority and his full strength and his full power for sure. I'm not accepting anything less, and I hope you don't either. I hope you make that determination in your own soul as an individual. I will not accept anything less than God's full power and full authority for my life. 
In verse 6, it says, For this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with diverse lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Mm Mm-hmm. That's the state that we're watching right now, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. It says in verse 8, Now Janus and Jambres withstood Moses. So do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith. Now, what does that tell us? It means that these people that he's talking about, that are heady, that are without natural affection, that are truth breakers, they actually understand the faith. Isn't that interesting? So it isn't just the uh, those out there that don't believe in God or, or claim to be atheists or things like that. That applies to them too. But this is also those who deny, who are reprobate concerning the faith. Reprobate means to be opposite. So they've got to, they've got to have a measure of, of the faith if they're going to be reprobate concerning it. So that's another reason to stick close to our word and to measure everything we hear up against the word of God. To say, well, Lord, is this of you? Because I want all of you, God. I want all of you. So is this of you? Here's verse 9. This is 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 9. But they shall proceed no further. <laughs> I love that. This is God's eternal authority. They shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be manifest unto all men, as theirs also was. All these that he's talking about, those that are lovers of them own selves and boasters and fierce despisers of those that are good, they shall proceed no further, and their folly shall be manifest unto all men. So we can trust God in that, and we can pray every day, Lord, you make sure that this, the folly of these that are coming against God's authority be made manifest unto all men. Because it's in your word, Lord. We're holding you to it. We're holding you to it. So we're talking about asking good questions. And as Paul outlined in 2 Timothy, there are those that are ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And that's, that's on them because the truth is right here in the word of God. So if anyone wants it, it is fully available to those who have a sincere heart who really want it. But there's a lot of uh, religious questions out there. And I'm, and they're high-minded, very heady, very kind of esoteric and uh, philosophical, let's say. But they're not honestly seeking information. Instead, they presume to know the answer and they're, they're going to test someone else's uh, knowledge, but in arrogance. So these are religious questions and this is what Christ dealt with frequently. We're going to start with these um, kind of the questions that elicit, uh, that don't actually accomplish anything, these religious type questions. And then we'll get to questions that are from a pure heart that accomplish incredible things. And you'll see that contrast and you'll really be able to say, okay, let me, Lord, I want to seek you. I want to ask the right questions. So we'll start with these religious questions. We'll start in Luke 20, verse 1. It says, And it came to pass that on one of those days, as he taught the people in the temple, this is speaking of Christ, and preached the gospel, the chief priests and the scribes came upon him with the elders and spake unto him, saying, Tell us, by what authority doest thou these things? 
Or who is he that gave thee this authority? Now, these chief priests and scribes, you'd think they would recognize the working of God Almighty. You'd think that they'd recognize that all through all the book of the prophets prophesying about who Christ was, that they would be able to recognize that he's standing right in front of them. But this question, by what authority doest thou these things? It's very heady. It's very high-minded. Because if you're looking at the Son of God, you'd immediately recognize, if you have a pure heart, you'd immediately recognize and reverence the awesome authority of God Almighty. And you'd have that trembling and that quaking in your heart and mind and your soul. You, that, that's, that's the proper way. And then if, I mean, Christ answers a, a, some beautiful questions and we'll get to that. But this is one of those religious questions, that high-mindedness. But Christ has the perfect answer. And he answered and said unto them, I will also ask you one thing and answer me. The baptism of John, was it from heaven or of men? And they reasoned with themselves, saying, Well, if we shall say from heaven, he will say, Why then believed ye not him? Why then believed ye him not? But if we say of men, all people will stone us, for they be persuaded that John was a prophet. And they answered that they could not tell whence it was. So Christ caught them in the perfect answer here. They're questioning the authority of God Almighty when he's doing wondrous works, incredible miracles right before them. And so he asks them a simple question in response, and it totally shuts them down. That's the power of a good question, fitly spoken. And Jesus said unto them, Neither tell I you by what authority I do these things. Because Christ shouldn't have to explain that. It should be very obvious to anyone who has a mind or heart after God that this is God Almighty at work. So Christ shouldn't have to tell you these things. shouldn't have to tell the scribes and Pharisees. He shouldn't have to tell them by what authority. They're, they should be able to see God's great authority. And in other places of the word, he, it actually says they marveled because he taught not as the scribes, but as one with authority. That's right. So, of course, they wanted to call into question his great authority. But Christ had the perfect answer. God's authority gets the work done regardless of the opposition. Let's go to Matthew 12. This is pretty incredible because, again, we're talking about these so-called religious questions, which are basically just fancy philosophical questions, high-minded and heady, and never actually accomplish anything. Um they're not actually looking for real answers. They're ever learning and never coming to the knowledge of the truth. So Matthew 12, verse 9, it says, And when he departed thence, he went into their synagogue. This is speaking again of Christ. And behold, there was a man which had his hand withered. And they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? These are the scribes and Pharisees again asking Christ this question. And they asked this that they might accuse him. So again, laying traps with questions. And again, this was happening back thousands of years ago. So Satan's so uncreative with his tactics. But we need to be aware of them. We need to, we need to know what he's doing. We need to know that the questions being asked are, in fact, vicious and accusatory. And that they were doing this back then. They're certainly doing it now today. 
So let's not be surprised and let's make sure we can recognize it as soon as it happens because Christ recognized it as soon as it happened. He, and it says in verse 11, and he said unto them, what man shall there be among you that shall have one sheep? And if it fall into a pit on the Sabbath day, will he not lay hold on it and lift it out? How much then is a man better than a sheep? Wherefore, it is lawful to do well on the Sabbath days. Then he said, then saith he to the man, stretch forth thine hand. And he stretched it forth and it was restored whole like as the other. So Christ not only answered their questions beautifully and perfectly and gave them some food for thought, but he also healed this man. And I, I love these next two scriptures because this is so important. Let's tune our ears and let this sink in really deep into our souls. It says in verse 14, this is Matthew 12. Then the Pharisees went out and held a council against him, how they might destroy him. See, again, these, the intention behind these questions is vicious and destructive. It's not genuine. It's not true. It's not pure. And the only way to combat it is with the truth and knowing what the devices of Satan are. And they are wicked questions. Now, they, they just watched him heal a man and they sought to destroy him. That's the spirit of the matter right there. That destructive, vicious nature. Here we go, verse, verse 15. This is a but. It starts with a but. Okay, so go ahead, Pharisees. Hold a council to, to, try, to try to destroy Christ. But when Jesus knew it, he withdrew himself from, sent, from thence. And great multitudes followed, and he healed them all. So Christ saw I'm going to withdraw myself from this vitriolic, these attackers. I'm withdrawing myself. And we can do the same. A little bit later on, we're going to hear how God fights for us. So we don't have to plunge into the battle. We don't have to insert ourselves into a conversation. God fights for us. Christ here, he withdrew himself. Knowing that these Pharisees were wicked and were seeking to destroy him, he withdrew himself. And what did he do? How do we know the true nature of Christ? He went then and healed all those that followed him. That's the true nature of God. That is what Christ can do. And of course, Christ knew that they would come after him. And so he was well aware. And so we must be well aware as well. We mustn't be uh, ignorant. And, and as we seek God and as we ask him to instruct us and to give us wisdom, we won't be, and we'll, we'll understand when those are uh, holding counsel against us as well, and then be able to withdraw ourselves and still accomplish God's work, healing those, healing the sick, uh, speaking in new tongues, and all those wonderful gifts of the Spirit. So those are a couple examples of the destructive nature of religious questions and the destructive nature of accusatory questions. They actually wanted to keep this man lame. Those, those questions were intended to halt the healing of this man. But God went right above it, just poof, right past it, and healed not only that man, but healed all those that followed Christ. It's a beautiful thing. So now let's look at some good questions that we can ask that will help our lives build and grow and expand in the Lord. 
that will give us that joy and that peace, that love of Christ in our hearts and minds. A good question is, well, how do you get saved? Right? That's a really good question. Who can save? The answer is Christ, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, and him alone. Let's go to chapter, let's go to John chapter 6. We'll start in verse 30, 63. Excuse me. It is the spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. This is Christ speaking. But there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. And he said, Therefore said I unto you, that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my father. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve. This is an excellent question and a question that we can ask our own souls. It says, will ye also go away? If things get too hard, or are, are you going to walk away from Christ? If, if, uh, if things aren't going the way you want them to go, are you going to walk away also? But here's, here's an excellent response. Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? <laughs> what a wonderful question. To whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. That's John 6. Verses 68 and 69. To whom shall we go? There is nowhere else to go for salvation of your soul, for eternal life. And because Peter was eight, said this in John 6, verse 68 and 69, he could proudly and with all authority proclaim in Acts 4, 12, neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. It is only through the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, believing in the Son of God, and, and, and knowing, being sure that he is the way, the truth, and the life, that our souls achieve salvation and eternal life. Isn't that wonderful? So though, that's a good question. To whom shall we go? Yeah. Who else gives, gives the answers? Who else gives the love, the joy, the peace? Another good question is when, when we receive new knowledge, what, what shall we do? What do we do with it for our own lives, our own hearts, our own minds? What shall we do? This is a really good question, and I love it. It's in Acts chapter 2. Let's start in verse 36. It says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly, this is Apostle Peter speaking, that God hath made that same Jesus, whom ye crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart, and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? How do we apply this to our own lives? How do we fix the fact that we crucified our Lord and Savior? Then Peter said unto them, Repent, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promises unto you, and to your children, and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. 
And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in breaking of bread and in prayer. That very simple, genuine, sincere question. They were pricked in their heart. Oh man, I gotta, I gotta fix this. I gotta fix my. I gotta fix what I've been doing, and I gotta change it. What shall we do? Resulted in three thousand souls getting saved. Isn't that amazing? Receiving the word of God, and immediately their lives are forever changed. Their eternal life forever changed. And then, of course, they get to continue steadfastly in those prayers, in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. What a beautiful thing. That beautiful, simple question changed the lives of thousands. You see the difference? You see the hamster wheel of futility that religious questions get you, get, get people put on? Well, what authority do you have? You should already know. I'm healing the sick and the lame and the, and the maimed and, and the blind and raising the dead. You should know this is God's great authority. You see the, the contrast, the futility of religious questions and the power of genuine, a genuine heart seeking God Almighty? This is another great example of that. This is incredible. Let's go to Acts 8. The question is, what doth hinder me? Yeah, what might stop someone from obeying God? That's a good question to ask. What stops anyone from obeying God? Well, let's let's read about a man who um, who was very tenacious. Acts eight verse twenty six. We'll start there. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch with great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure. And had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot, reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to his chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understand thou what thou read? What a great, what a genuine, sincere question. And he said, How can I except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. Isn't that wonderful? The beautiful obedience that Philip showed. God showed him. Why don't you go through the desert and head down to Jerusalem? And then he, he was able to also be obedient, go next to the chariot, chariot, and then have this simple question. And it, boom, here comes that blossoming conversation. Verse 32 Well, let's go back to 31. It says, And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shearer. So opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this? of himself or of some other man. Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. 
And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. What a beautiful display of the right questions being asked. And a man who was very, very influential, but had a childlike faith. Simply ask that question, what doth hinder me to be baptized? (laughs) Nothing. If you believe with all your heart that Jesus Christ is your Lord, get dunked. Let's go. Let's get on it. And let's get everyone on their way rejoicing for a change rather than limping through life. No, God doesn't want that for us. When God heals a soul, they are walking and leaping and praising God and rejoicing. And that's the difference. There's your contrast. That's the key to knowing when God's true spirit is involved versus when it's some other spirit. So what doth hinder me to be baptized? I would encourage all those who have not yet been baptized, ask yourself that question and seek God because it is so important. You know, the Lord says, if you love me, keep my commandments. And if you believe in Christ, you will certainly love and appreciate him for what he's done for your soul, for my soul. The more you believe in him, the more you love him, and the more you'll just automatically want to keep his commandments. Isn't that wonderful? So, you know, as we've seen, one of a, a Christ asked questions as well. And he always, as we saw in Luke 20 and Matthew 12, He always had a very good reason for asking questions. Let's go to Matthew chapter 8. It says, And when he was entered into a ship, his disciples followed him, and behold, there arose a great tempest in the sea, insomuch that the ship was covered with the waves. But he was asleep, speaking of Christ. And the disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we perish. (laughs) And he said unto them, Why are you fearful, O ye of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and seas, and there was a great calm. Why are you fearful, O ye of little faith? Isn't that an incredible question for Christ to have asked? Here they are in the midst of this storm, this incredible tumult, a tempest. Why are you fearful, O ye of little faith? And that was him saying, Hey, I'm right here. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. Just trust me. Here's verse 27. But the men marveled, saying, What manner of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? You see, they didn't quite know Christ and who he was, despite the fact that they'd seen incredible miracles and that they... They'd already heard these beautiful, the beautiful wisdom and the knowledge of God and, and, and were disciples. They knew that he was the Christ, but they didn't fully know the authority of Christ. And that's actually a lot of Christians today. They get wrapped up in these sort of foolish questions and they don't actually know who Christ is. 
But that's what we're here for on Get Your Love On. We're going to give you the word. We're going to give you God's love through the truth of his word and and help us all know who Christ really is and that incredible authority of God Almighty that can be in our lives every single day. So that so that he'll when when we say Lord, we need this, he'll say, "You got it. Thanks for your faith." Rather than, "Why are you fearful, O ye of little faith?" Let's have great faith. And let's never fear. It says perfect love casts out fear. If you feel fear or torment, pray to Jesus Christ in Nazareth, say, Lord, take this away. I speak peace in the name of Jesus Christ in Nazareth. And he will. And then those those winds and that tempest will be calmed. It says he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea. But all men, mar- but the men marveled and they, they were still trying to figure out who Christ was. So that's what's so wonderful is that we get to know Christ in the fullness of his truth. The other thing I'll say is in Matthew 8, they didn't have the Holy Spirit yet. So I'm not I'm not casting fault here to these these disciples, I'm just pointing something out because they didn't have the Holy Spirit yet. So they couldn't have that fullness of understanding. But now that we have the Holy Spirit, it's available to us, to all those who, as, as Peter laid out in Acts 2.38, repent and are baptized and filled with the Holy that's the the uh, That's how you unlock the key to the gift of the Holy Ghost. Then we will know the manner of man who is Christ Jesus, our Lord. We will know that he commands the winds and the sea and will expect him to do the same in our lives. That's a really special place to be. Okay, here are some other incredible questions that Christ posed that can teach us a lot about our own selves and how to um, navigate these unique circumstances we may find ourselves in. This is after his resurrection. We're going to go to John 21. It says, After these things Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the sea of Tiberias, and on this wise showed he himself. They were together, Simon Peter and Thomas, called Didymus, and Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said unto them, I go a fishing. And they say unto him, We go also with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said unto them, Children, have ye any meat? They answered him, No. (laughs) And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw for the multitude of fishes. That's right. When we cast our net into a sea of questions. If we're not casting it on the right side, we're not going to catch any actual knowledge. But when we do, when we cast that net into the word of God, we will come up with such abundant knowledge that we just kind of uh, walk around thinking, oh, Lord, thank you so much. Lord, thanks for showing me that. Lord, thanks for revealing that to me. It's an incredible walk. It's an incredible life. And The key is to cast the net on the right side. Righteousness, truth, Christ. It says, uh, they cast therefore and now were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. 
Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said unto Peter, It's the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girt his fisher's coat upon him, for he was naked, and did cast himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from land, but as it were 200 cubits, dragging the net with fishes. As soon as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid thereon, and bread. Jesus said unto them, Bring the fish which ye have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of great fishes, an hundred and fifty and three. And for all there were so many, yet was not the net broken. Isn't that wonderful? God will give in such great abundance and will always be able to handle it when it's coming from the Lord. We'll always be able to handle it. Verse 12, Jesus said unto them, Come and dine. And none of the disciples durst ask him, Who art thou, knowing that it was the Lord? That's that pure heart. They knew exactly who he was. See that big difference, that incredible contrast? Jesus then cometh and taketh bread and giveth them and fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples. After that, he was risen from the dead. So when they had dined, Jesus said unto Simon Peter. Isn't it interesting that that Christ chose Peter here? This is really important for anyone who wants to know Christ, who feels like there is a calling of God in your life. This is incredible. Then they had dined. Jesus said unto Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He said unto him, Feed my lambs. What an incredible question from Jesus Christ himself. And he asks this to each one of us. Every day we get to answer this question. Do we love God more than anything else? And our thoughts, our actions, the way we treat one another will be evidence of the answer to that question. We don't necessarily need to say much of anything. Although I tell the Lord every day, all the time, Lord, I love you so much. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for your righteousness. Thank you for choosing me. Thank you for showing me your way, your right, your your path for me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. I love you. I tell him that all the time. And that that will become evident for all of us as we do the same. But isn't that interesting that the Lord asked him that? And then his response Once Peter said, oh, of course I love you. He said, feed my lambs. And then he said unto him the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He said unto him, yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He said unto him, feed my sheep. He said unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus said unto him, Feed my sheep. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, When thou wast young, thou girdest thyself, and walkest whither thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee, and carry thee whither thou wouldst not. Isn't that wonderful? So Peter, in his, in his sort of uh, young state, Christ knew his heart. And needed him to understand that as as he relies on the Holy Spirit, he'll be able to go places that that natural, young, immature mind 
could never go. So as we mature in the Holy Spirit, it will take us places our natural mind could never go. We, we accept a new mind. We become that new man in Christ Jesus. But first, we must truly be converted into that new man and into that new mind. In Luke 22, verse 31, again, this is, this is Christ speaking to Apostle Peter. It says, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. So when Christ was telling him, feed my sheep, feed my lamb, feed my sheep, he was telling him, strengthen thy brethren. In order to do that, though, you must first be converted. That's the key here. You know, we, we accept Christ in our life. We repent. We're baptized. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. And then we're walking in that newness of life. And isn't this incredible? This is Apostle Peter here, that Christ is saying, when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. So surely for each one of us, that conversion process must take place. Isn't that interesting? And you might be wondering, well, what does that mean exactly? The good news is, that's a great question, by the way, (laughs) a really, really well-chosen question. What does it mean to be converted? The great news is we have a beautiful teaching from our friend Trish on this very topic. This is called conversion. I hope you enjoy. Well, greetings, everyone. It's so good to see the beautiful faces of uh, God's chosen people, chosen because they were faithful and chosen because they chose to serve God as well. He chose them and they chose him. So there's a process that you go through, uh, a conversion process to have that full and complete walk with God. So I'm going to cover some of the very basics of what's involved in that conversion process. I'm going to start in Ephesians 4, verse 17. And this I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God, through the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. You see, there's a certain nature there. God's addressing that nature and he's saying, okay, I don't want you doing this anymore. This is what it's like out there in the world. I did do another um, teaching message on the difference between that meek spirit and that brutish nature of a natural mind. God's saying, you've got to get rid of that old natural mind. So I'm breaking this down here, and I wanted to go and look at the meaning of lasciviousness. Licentiousness, that means promiscuous and unprincipled. Disregarding accepted rules or conventions. Intemperateness, intemperance, excess, excess in action, and immoderate indulgence of bodily appetites especially in passion or indulgence, very self-indulgent. What a deceitful and subtle thing lasciviousness is. 
It makes you think you're free when you are actually in bondage. It's a device of the devil whereby he deceives people into thinking they're really free when in fact they're locked up by their own indulgence and their own vices and they become a prisoner to it. Lasciviousness is filthy wantonness, unbridled lust, excess, outrageousness, shamelessness, and insolence. It is wanton behavior characterized by a total lack of concern about what others think. It's doing its thing, totally self-indulgent, just very earthy, fleshly behavior. It does whatever it wants. But the scripture goes on to say, but ye have not so learned Christ. If so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, that old behavior, that old way of doing things, just put it off, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. Those, those earthy urges, they'll get you in trouble. So just put it off. And see how there's an action you're actively doing something. You're actively setting those urges aside. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Now your mind is your soul. So you renew the way you think. You renew the way you, you do things. And that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So you get in there and you learn, you read your word and you put on that behavior that Christ lies, lays down for you. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. So you just set all that other aside. You, put, you set lying aside and just stand on the truth. And the truth is the word of God. That's the ultimate truth. It also says, be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Now there is a righteous anger. There's a righteous indignation. And when that comes up in you, get in your word, get it out before God, get your prayers out, get the scripture to cover it, set God in motion, and then get your peace back. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath and don't give place to uh, the wrath of man that angry man. Get it out and then set God in motion and he will take it up for you. He's very good at it. Neither give place to the devil. Don't listen to him. Don't give him a second of your time, not a second. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. Spend your time seeing what your brother's needs are and pour into your brother, pour into each other and see what, and their needs can be a physical need or it could be a spiritual need. Maybe they're, they're afflicted and they need their heart lifted. Well, get a hold of the Lord and find that seasoned word that's gonna lift their heart. It's called edifying one another. So get a hold of God, he'll show you how to do it. 
Here it is. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. So if you're going to have something come out of your mouth, let it do that appointed thing that God needs it to do. If there's a soul that needs to be edified, edify them. If there's a spirit that needs to be removed, rebuke it in the name of the Lord. Get your scripture to cover it. Set the Lord on it. Get your peace back. But that communication that goes out, make sure it's a godly communication. It's of a godly sort. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby we are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all the malice. Get it gone. Don't do that. You don't need bitterness in your life. You don't need any of those things. That's that natural wrath, that natural anger. It's a whole lot. There's a whole different ball game there. The difference between righteous indignation when something is absolutely against God or that earthy anger that comes up and that flesh gives into it. Get rid of it. Get it away from you and be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. That's a big one. Holding aught in your heart against a brother or a sister in the Lord, harboring something that maybe happened. Sometimes I've seen people harbor things that happened years ago. And, you know, when a soul has gone through something and they've repented of it, forgive them. Let it go. Let it go and let your hearts be knit up. Don't harbor anything against a soul that's unnecessary. It's just going to fester inside of you. It's going to cause a divisive stance, breaks up that unity of God. Because God unites people. He brings them together. He reconciles them. This is a ministry of reconciliation, not of petty squabbles. Even if it was a big issue, there's nothing too big for God to, that he can't resolve. So let it be resolved and let it go. Don't harbor it in there and cause a root of bitterness to spring up. And let be reunited with those loved ones loved ones being the key. Get your love up. Get a hold of God. Get his mind. Ask him how he sees each individual and stand with him. Take on his approach. Take on his heart. He'll show you how to remedy any situation and bring it together in that sweet unity. Move on. Bind together. Resolve your issues. It's a wonderful working it's so good. Over in Colossians 3, verse 8, But now ye also put off all of these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds. Don't lie about another person. Mm -mm. Take on God's speech. See what he thinks and feels about the human souls. See what he thinks and feels about this one that maybe you have an issue with. Go, go to God over it and have his speech come out. 
not a lying spun rendition, but the Lord's idea about them, the Lord's heart towards them. And put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him, that new man, Christ Jesus. He came here, he walked on the face of the earth, read through the gospels, see how he approached every matter, and pattern yourself after that. It's a wonderful, beautiful thing. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. So if Christ is in someone over here and he's in someone over there, why is there any conflict? Why should there be any division? Because Christ isn't divided. So unify. When you have God's mind, you will automatically unify. Mm -hmm. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, and long-suffering, forbearing one another, forgiving one another. If any man hath a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Just forgive them. Let it bind up, unify, and join with one another. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. Charity is love. Put on that great love. You'll find those offenses will leave. You won't be offended anymore. You'll have that beautiful love. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Doesn't that sound like a much sweeter existence? Much nicer, far more pleasant. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. And husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Let's go over to James 4, verse 1. From whence comes wars and fightings among you? Now, where are all these wars and fightings coming from? Come they not hence, even of your lusts that war in your members? Is there something that you figure is more important to you than that human soul, than that beautiful soul? something more important to you than overcoming and being like the Lord. Ye lust and have not. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not, because you ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lust. There's a selfishness there. God is not going to cater to the selfish flesh. 
He wants you to kill out that flesh and ask of him, Lord, what's pleasant in your sight? What do you want? Ask him what he wants and line up for that and have your, your prayers go out accordingly and trust him. Line up with him and trust him. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Are you going to be a friend of those behaviors? Are you going to take on those behaviors and harbor those hard thoughts in you? And those, those offenses, are you going to harbor those? When you do that, you make yourself an enemy of God and you're alienating yourself from him. Mm -hmm. Do you think that the scripture saith in vain that the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. Is there a warfare in you to want to do it your way and you want to win no matter what? I mean that ungodly warfare where you want it your way, not God's way, but your way. It's time to humble out and let it go. Humble out and let it go. God wins. Do it God's way. Listen to him and just let it go. You'll see how beautiful and pleasant it is. It's beautiful and pleasant. I think I mentioned it before, how Paul the Lord had to say to him when he took him down off his high horse, Paul, Saul, why kickest thou against the pricks? You're kicking against me. It won't work. It's going to hinder you. So get to know him and get very agreeable. Yeah, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Well, if you're fighting God, then there's two minds there, warring. So which mind are you going to land on? Which mind are you going to settle for? Because that natural mind, it's going to keep you in conflict. It's going to keep you stirred up. And there's going to be that warfare going on all the time. And it's going to be countering everything that God says to you. And you're not going to get anywhere. You're not going to be able to accomplish anything. So get rid of it. Humble out. Let it go. Get quiet. Chill. Be still. And let God win. It really works so much better then. It's so beautiful. Mm -hmm. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to heaviness. That flesh, it's real cocky. It's real puffed up. It likes getting its own way. And the Lord said, look, just let it break down. Just be afflicted, mourn and weep. And don't be all cocky and heady. Just settle down. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. It's a beautiful thing. Speak not evil one of another, brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother and judgest his brother speaketh evil of the law, and judgeth the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. Over in Matthew 18, verse 3, he said, Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted and become as little children, 
you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now that little child, that little child, you tell them something, they believe you. There's an innocence and a purity. If you tell them, if you do this, it's going to give you protection. If you do this, it's going to do that. And a child will go, oh, okay. And they just believe you. That's why the Lord loves that childlike faith. There's a, they trust you and they look up to you and they believe you. A child will do that. So humble yourself out and be like that child that when the Lord tells you to do something, it doesn't matter if it makes sense to you. Just do it. Trust him and just do it and watch and see. It'll be very profitable to you to just obey him. But that's why he said, Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. That's quite a statement. When you humble yourself as a little child, that little child that just believes what the father's telling him, just believes it. There's so much power in that. You actually become as powerful as God because you're believing him and you're doing what he's telling you to do. So you're doing what God would do. I don't know of anyone that's more powerful than God. So do you see how that childlike behavior makes you as powerful as God? Isn't that something? That humbleness and just believing him and doing it, you're actually becoming like him. It's, it's really something. You're getting all that backup and all that power and doing it just like he would. And whoso shall receive one such little child in my name receiveth me. Now, if you have one brother full of the Holy Ghost and another brother full of the Holy Ghost, and both are loving and serving the Lord, well, how can you look down on each other? You can't. You can't. Mm -hmm. God receives them, then you receive them. Many times I've gone to the Lord, and some maybe have a particular, peculiar makeup, and I go, well, Lord, do you receive them? And if he says yes, then he says, okay. I answer them back, okay, then I receive them. That's all I need. If you receive them, then I receive them. It's that simple. So if God's received them, you receive them. Mm -hmm. But whoso shall offend one of these little ones, which believeth in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck, and that he were drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe unto the world because of offenses, for it must needs be that offenses come, but woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. Be pleasing to God and don't offend one another. Don't offend these little ones that God's accepted. If they've been baptized and filled with his spirit, God's accepted them. Reconcile, get rid of all your differences. There's no differences in the Lord love them. If they've done something, forgive them. Knit up. Join together. Don't have one on one side of the city and the other on the other side of the city and neither the two shall meet. No. Gather together and love one another. What a beautiful thing. The Lord will reconcile and heal all the wounds if you let them go. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wherefore, if thy hand or thy foot offend thee, Cut them off and cast them from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life halt or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into everlasting fire. If there's something that's troubling you, you get rid of it. 
If it's not like God, get rid of it. Get it out of your life. Get it out of your mind. Get it out of your heart. Replace it with something better, way better. Get those fleshly things out of the way. If thine eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire. Take heed that ye despise not one of these little ones. For I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. It's very, very important to know what you're handling when you're handling someone with the Spirit of God in them and how to speak and how about them and how to view them. Be very, very careful because God, he sees both of them. He sees everything. First Peter 5, 2, feed the flock of God, which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. If you've got a family, feed them, take the oversight, tender them, all of them. Not one preferred over the other, but all of them with a ready mind. Get in there and find out how to remedy any situation with great love and tenderness. Neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. Be like the Lord, take on his approach. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. He'll lift you up, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. He's going to try and get you pissed off at something without a cause, get you stirred up against each other without a real cause. He'll pick and pick and pick and try and get you going. So the next thing you know, you're melting off at each other. You're hating each other and you're on a, each on the other side of the city. Reconcile. Don't go there. Don't start picking and, and listening to that little bug in your ear trying to get you all pissed off at somebody or believing his lie about them. Don't go there. All right. Down in verse 7, it says, Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Stand on faith and confidence in God that he's actually talking to your brother and that they actually love you. Yeah. And that he's well able to do anything. Don't believe a lie against them. Don't do it. Resist that lie. Set it far from you. And go back to the peace. And go back to the love. And go back to the joy. And go back to the simplicity of God. 
in verse 10, but the God of all grace, that's that beautiful covering, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now you may have to suffer that warfare for a bit, having to resist him and resist him, but don't receive it. God will give you that perfect answer. Let him establish you and strengthen you and settle you. So that when you see that sweet brethren, that brother or sister in the Lord, could be a, a natural brother or a natural sister. It could be in-laws. It could be siblings. If they have the Holy Ghost, it could be a married couple, whatever. If they have that infilling of the Holy Ghost and they've had that baptism, don't accept um, a murmuring spirit in your ear against them to get you all riled up against them. Don't do it. Tender them, love them, accept them. If they have done something wrong, forgive them. But especially when there's that little bug in your trying to accuse them of something that they haven't done or of a nature that they don't have. Don't listen to it, resist it. Acts 3.19 Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. Repent means to turn quite around or reverse. Reverse your way of looking at things, reverse your way of doing things. Convert, turn self about. Completely do a turnaround. Yeah, and reconcile. Reconcile yourself with the Lord first and reconcile yourself with your brethren. However they fit into whatever category, do that. Exodus 23, and remember, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Don't let anything be more important to you than that heart and mind of God. If somebody may have damaged your stuff, it's only stuff, let it go. What is God going to do with the stuff? He's going to burn it away. He's going to get rid of it all. So why would you destroy your own soul or hinder your walk with the Lord by harboring something that is earthy and not important. Let it go. Or petty in the, in the sight of God. It may have meant something to you at one time, but maybe not so much now. Let it go. I'm just using that as one example. Over in Deuteronomy 6, verse 5, here's the finishing touch to all of it. Here's your key. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. That's a mouthful. Now remember, your mind is your soul. So if everything in your heart defers to the Lord first, every thought in your mind wants to line up with God first, and everything that you do with your strength is for the Lord in everything that you do, you're not going to fail because everything you put your hand to, whether it's a job, whether it's an endeavor to unite with someone, when you go to God first and you put God first and you inquire of him first, you say, I love you more than my own self, Lord. And you inquire of him, how would you want this done? How do you want me to conduct myself today? 
What do you want me to say, Lord? Do you see how all of your every being can go to him first? That's why you're very, that's why he says that you shall love the Lord thy God with all thine heart. If all of your heart is given to him, it's not going to fail. With all of thy soul, with all of your soul, with all of your mind is given to him first and lines up with him, you're not going to fail. And with all of your might, with everything that you do, you're deferring to him and doing it his way, you're not going to fail. You're going to find out all of a sudden you're a whole new man or woman. You've been converted to a whole new person, that man Christ Jesus, because you're going to be doing it God's way. Conversion. Isn't that something? What a beautiful working. It's very basic, but get in your book, talk to the Lord. Number one, get, get filled with his spirit going down in that watery grave of baptism, full immersion, immersion under holy hands. And if you don't know anyone that has holy hands, I know lots of people that are very qualified that have those holy anointed hands. Go down into that watery grave of baptism, dying out to that old man, washing away everything that you did up to that moment. It's all gone. God won't remember it. It's all gone. That absolute remission. And coming up again, a whole new start, a whole new life, and receiving in the infilling of the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of God. You become a whole new creature. It's a whole new life. You've got a whole new power to draw from. You've got a whole new place to go to to get your answers. And open your word and let it come alive because you've got the tools to do it now. So enjoy your glorious walk with the Lord in all the fullness of everything that he has for you. The Lord bless you much. I love you, dear. Bless God. The Lord gave me a scripture to share. It's Proverbs 15, 33. The fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom, and before honor is humility. And yea, saith the Lord, the mouth of the righteous man is a well of life. It doesn't cause trouble or strife. The truth shall set many souls free as they hearken earnestly unto me. I shall try the heartstrings, which way to go, and prune off the old ways, then there is room to grow. My way is perfect, strong, and concise. A ready ear will hear my advice and walk forward with me each day as I have already made a way. And that is prophecy. And sometimes it comes in prose, which is a beautiful thing. And as you just heard, that's very uh, edifying way that the Lord can bless us is through prophecy. And it's the Spirit of God speaking through an individual, a Holy Ghost-filled individual. So, so this next message, the Lord fights for his elect. It's an incredible message. And especially after the first part of the show, we heard about asking the right questions. And that'll bring us into the conversion process where we're fully converted into that new man, that new woman in Christ Jesus. And then we'll see how God Almighty fights for us. And this message that you're about to hear was actually recorded back in 2018. 
before our current events unfolded. But this man, he's a great teacher of the word. His name's Gregory, as I mentioned. He loves the word of God and loves the Lord, loves to dig out that knowledge in the word. And he actually famously said that his favorite date night activity with his gorgeous wife is to read the word and watch what God reveals. So again, this message, it was offered to a beautiful congregation of believers way back in 2018. This is called God Fights for His Elect. And this is by our friend Gregory. In this day and age, there are so many causes people fight for, busying themselves, arguing one thing or another, and creating confusion, rioting and protesting for this thing and that unpeaceably. But God's elect don't join in any of that. We don't have to, but we don't sit idly by either. The Lord is our cause. We are his strong right arm. And through Christ and his Holy Spirit and the Holy Ghost within us, we fight and defeat all principalities and powers of the air. And as an elect man and woman of God, the world is our footstool. Our prayers will move mountains and we will always be victorious. To start off, let's read about the children of Israel in the Old Testament, the chosen people of God, and the elect Moses who is leading them. And we'll see how the Lord fought for them to get them out of bondage from Egypt. So we're gonna go in right after the Lord worked all those miracles in Egypt and got them out of it. So we're gonna start in Exodus 14:5. And it was told the king of Egypt that the people fled and the heart of Pharaoh and of his servants was turned against the people. And they said, why have we done this? That we have let Israel go from serving us. And he made ready his chariot and took his people with him. And he took 600 chosen chariots and all the chariots of Egypt and captains over every one of them. So this is how man chooses to fight his battles. So Pharaoh here has chosen 600 chariots. And each one of these chariot riders is a captain. So this is the best of the best. This is everything he's got. But if we read in Psalms 147.10, he, speaking of the Lord, delighteth not in the strength of the horse. He taketh not pleasure in the legs of a man. The Lord taketh pleasure in them that fear him, in those that hope in his mercy. It doesn't matter what it looks like. That's how the Lord fights. So let's see what he's going to do here with these 600 chariots coming after him. So in Exodus 14, 13, And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show you today. For the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace. The children of God hold their peace and stand in faith. No marching in the streets, no arguing online. Give it all to God. Fear not, stand still, and hold your peace. You are the elect of God. Believe it and know that you are worthy. Have the faith and watch the victory manifest. So let's go to Exodus 14, 22. And the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea upon the dry ground, and the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left. And when you are the elect and you follow the Lord's leading, you will always go on dry ground. He will lead you on that straight and narrow path. And the Egyptians pursued and went in after them in the midst of the sea, even all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And it came to pass that in the morning watch, the Lord looked unto the host of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and of the cloud and troubled the host of the Egyptians and took off their chariot wheels that they drave them heavily. So the Egyptians said, 
Let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fighteth for them against the Egyptians. And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thine hand over the sea, that the waters may come again upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. And Moses stretched forth his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to his strength. When the morning appeared, and the Egyptians fled against it, and the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea, and the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all the host of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them. There remained not so much as one of them, and God did it. The people of Israel had to obey the Lord and act when he told them to act. As the elect of God, we are the Lord's arm in this life. The Lord fights for us and shows us how to activate him for our behalf. The people had to move, and Moses had to stretch out his hand when the Lord told him to do so. How do you know when to do that? Talk to the Lord. Pray and get his mind. Listen to that still small voice. And we're going to see how they celebrated in just the next verse there in Exodus 15.1. Then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord, and spake, saying, I will sing unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will prepare him in habitation. My father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. And we have that man of war, the Lord Jesus Christ, within us. We cannot fail, because he's on our side. So let's read another example of how the Lord fights for his people. In Judges 6, 8, this is another one I would encourage everyone to, um, to read the full story. I'm just hitting the highlights real quick. That the Lord sent a prophet unto the children of Israel, which said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you forth out of the house of bondage. And I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all that oppressed you and drave them out from before you and gave you their land. And I said unto you, I am the Lord your God. Fear not the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell, but ye have not obeyed my voice. And this is about 150 years after the Lord got them out of Egypt, and they had just been backsliding, and they let it slip. So you want to keep winning? You want to keep staying successful and having that victory? You've got to stay prayed up. You need to stay pressing into the Lord to just keep that victory coming. And there came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak, which was in Ophrah, that pertained unto Joash, Joash the Abizrite. And his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. And Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? And where be all his miracles which our fathers told of us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us, and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. But he hadn't forsaken them. He's right there with them. They forsook him. But once they got humble, then he started to move for them again, and he had compassion on them. So keep pressing in. And the Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? And he said unto him, O my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with thee, and thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. 
So once again, doesn't matter what it looks like, doesn't matter what was in your past, it's just looking ahead, overcoming. The world is the Lord's. He created it and he created us. We are kings and priests and we are worthy, worthy of every blessing. Know who you are before the Lord and just claim that victory. In uh, um, a quick side here to Isaiah 65, 22, they shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For as the days of a tree are the days of my people, and mine elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. It is for us to be blessed. The Lord wants to bless us. So you're going to get it too. You just ask for it and claim it, and you'll receive those blessings and get those victories. So we'll go to Judges 7-2, just ahead a little bit. And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people that are with thee are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, Mine own hand hath saved me. The opposite of what man was doing, back Pharaoh coming against the uh, Israelites with his 600, the Lord, he's already made them less and less and less. He wants a small group, and he wants to prove that by his hand and his strength, that's where victory comes. It's not by numbers. It's not by captains of captains and years of training. It's, it's the Lord doing it. It's the Lord giving that victory. Now, therefore, go to, proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whosoever is fearful and afraid, let him return and depart early from Mount Gilead. And there returned of the people twenty and two thousand, and there remained ten thousand. So yeah, there's a little hint too. Don't, don't be fearful and afraid. Stand fast, stand in the Lord, and be patient. And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people are yet too many. Bring them down unto the water, and I will try them for thee there. And it shall be that of whom I say unto thee, This shall go with thee, the same shall go with thee, and of whomsoever I say unto thee, this shall not go with thee, the same shall not go. And then he does another example of bringing that number down for the people of Israel. So again, I would encourage you to read the full story. But we'll skip ahead just a little bit to Judges 7, 16. And here's what he, the number the Lord got him to. And he divided the 300 men into three companies. So we're at 300 now. From, I mean, just a little bit ago, they're at 22,000 down to 10,000. So now he's got all the way down to 300. So let's see what he's going to do. And he put a trumpet in every man's hand with empty pitchers and lamps within the pitchers, not swords and shields and everyone suit up with armor, the finest armor. Let's go get the, the most sweet wheeled chariots. Let's load these things down. He gave them a trumpet, empty pitchers, and lamps within the pitchers. Okay, so the Lord's up to something. And he said unto them, look on me and do likewise. And behold, when I come to the outside of the camp, it shall be that as I do, so shall ye do. When I blow with the trumpet, I and all that are with me, then blow ye the trumpets also on every side of all the camp and say, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. So Gideon and the hundred men that were with him came unto the outside of the camp in the beginning of the middle watch, and they had but newly set the watch, and they blew the trumpets and break the pitchers that were in their hands. And the three companies blew the trumpets and break the pitchers and held the lamps in their left hands and the trumpets in their right hands to blow withal. And they cried, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And they stood every man in his place round about the camp. And all the host ran and cried and fled like babies. 
The 300 blew the trumpets, and the Lord set every man's sword against his fellow. They didn't have swords. So whose, whose sword is against whose fellow? They killed themselves. That's where the sword was. <laughs> Even throughout all the host, and all the host fled to Bethshittah and of Zerarath and to the border of Abel-Meholah unto Tabith. That's how the Lord fights. Man, he's creative. And they didn't even need to do anything. They just had to follow his word and obey and just watch him fight for them. So who and why are the elect? And who and why does the Lord fight for them? What does it mean to be the elect? And what about that enables us to tap into him, to tap into the Lord and to claim these victories? So let's dive into the definition of the word elect. From the Strong's Concordance, elect in the Old Testament means... Select, choose, as in a choice, chosen one, to try, acceptable, appoint, excellent, join, be rather, require. In the New Testament, it means favorite, denoting origin, the point whence motion or action proceeds, from, out, time, often in terms of completion, to lay forth, figuratively, to relate to, ask, bid, boast, call, describe, name, put forth, speak, tell, and utter. That's an awesome word, and that is what we are. So let's go into a few of those a bit more in depth as well. Those first few words were select, choose, as in a choice, and chosen one. I read that as, we've been chosen by God. In John 15, 16, it says, Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and ordained you, that ye should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. So the Lord has chosen us. But on top of that, there is a choice on our side as well. We have to choose him. And we have the choice as to what to do with that. For instance, the fruit that's spoken of there. He says that ye shall go and bring forth fruit. So what is that fruit? In 2 Peter 1.5, it says, And besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience. Just like the children of Israel, they had to be patient and stand. And to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness and a brotherly kindness, charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. That's the state of the children of Israel there in Judges. They backslid a little bit and they forgot what they were purged and what they came out from. So don't forget that. Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In 2 Peter 1.5 it says, by giving all diligence. So what diligence? To reading the word, to pressing into the Lord, and by doing so you will increase in faith. And why is that? Because that is choosing the Lord. That's selecting him 
and acting like a chosen one. The scripture says the hearing of the word increaseth your faith. That means it's increasing right now just by hearing it. And by that faith and diligence and reading and hearing the word, you're choosing him right now. There are billions of people in this world and what are they doing with their time? They're not sitting here listening. They're not pressing in and reading their Bible. So you're, don't beat yourself up. You're doing good. <laughs> it's increasing. Your faith is increasing right now. You're hearing and reading the word. You're choosing him. In this moment, you're preferring him when you could be watching a movie or fighting for a cause. You stop and instead you pressed in. This word increases your knowledge too. And knowledge is tied to experience because now you are aware of the, these two stories, at the very least, of the children of Israel, how they stood on faith and were patient, and the Lord manifested that victory. That is now knowledge that is in your head and is part of your foundation. You know that now. You can stand on that and you can go, Lord, you, I'm standing here and I'm believing your word. You did it for the children of Israel. They're the chosen. I'm the chosen. Give me victory, Lord. It's part of your experience. It's part of your foundation now. And you can stand on that and quote him. And I guarantee he's going he's gonna to give you victory. The more you learn that regardless of what a situation looks like, it does, you think something might be challenging and hard. You're like, I don't know how we're going to make ends meet. If you look back and you document it every time you had a tough moment, the Lord got you out of every single one of those. He Just keep asking for that prayer. You look back on it. How many victories do we have? I bet we have a whole bunch in this room. I know I do. He's answered my every prayer. It may not have been the exact time that I wanted it sometimes, but you look back and go, oh yeah, he did answer that. So yeah, it's all part of that knowledge and that experience. You are chosen and he does answer your every prayer. So we'll keep going through these words. One of them was um, to try and you will be tried and you are required to overcome. The elect are winners because we have Jesus within us and he overcame the world and so do we. So we cast out that every ugly devil every chance we can get because he's a loser and we don't hang out with losers. So some of the other words were acceptable and a point. We are acceptable unto God. So that knocks that religious spirit right in the freaking nose because you are worthy. You are acceptable. You're not like, oh, woe is me. I'm a sinner. No, you're acceptable. You're not a sinner. You're an overcomer. You are appointed. Isaiah 40.10, is, uh, it says, Behold, the Lord God will come with strong hand, and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his work before him. That's Isaiah prophesying of Jesus' coming, and it's also prophesying of us, because we are the Lord's strong hand. The Lord needed to move on behalf of the children of Israel, and he did. He, he parted the waters, but what did he say to Moses? He said, Stick out thy hand, and command the waters. The word also says, command ye me. Speaking of the Lord, command the Lord. So we are that strong hand, and we are here as kings and priests. So yeah, don't just remember and know who you are. You are, a couple more of these words we're going back to, you are excellent. Join, you are joined to the Lord. Be rather, you would rather be a friend of God than a friend of the world. Require. You are required to overcome. One of the other ones was favorite. You are well favored and preferred of the Lord. You are his favorite and it's okay to get special treatment. Because with the Lord, you've got the best VIP pass. It doesn't cost anything and it lasts forever. And you will always get that 
VIP treatment from him. If you're going into a test, you pray for the Lord to anoint your mind, you're going to pass that test. You can ask for prayer from your brothers and sisters and just put the Lord first, and it is his good will to bless you. And you know what? If you don't, it's only because he has something better for you. And that's always been my case too. I'm like, Lord, I really want this. Dang, it didn't work. Like, why didn't I get that thing I wanted? And then sure enough, not that much later. Again, if you document what the Lord does for you, you look back on what your mind was and what you wanted to get. If you didn't get it, you're like, you're supposed to answer my every prayer. He had something better for you. So just trust in that as well. It's always going to be perfect. Everything he does is for your betterment. So you watch and you hold him to it. And again, I'd encourage you to start writing down every time a prayer is answered because it's going to be a cool track record. One of the other words was denoting origin, the point whence motion or action proceeds from out time, often in terms of completion. I thought that was cool because before the world was created, he created you. In Jeremiah 1.5, it says, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee. And I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Yep. You've been chosen to live in this time and this place. He set everything in motion, including you, and said, it is done. So what action will proceed from you with your time before your life is completed? Run the race and run to win all. Set your sights on where God's glory is. Set your sights on the throne and to stand on his right hand. A couple more of the words were to lay forth, figuratively to relate to, ask, bid, and boast. I mean, I think that's, that's awesome. We are in the scripture. Again, if you look it up, we are the children of God. So we relate to the Lord. We're also his, um, his bride. We're the bride of Christ. And the Lord boasts on his bride. He boasts on, uh, one of the ones that popped into my mind was Job. The Lord said, see my servant Job? He is a perfect and an upright man. And the, the Lord calls quite a few people perfect in the Bible. So that's a good study too to look up. You are the bride of Christ and Christ is the bridegroom. So imagine what the husbandman will do to those that treat his soon-to-be spouse poorly. You don't have to fight for any cause but the Lord's. The ones that come against God and his elect are the ones in a fearful state because their eternal soul is in jeopardy. So let the world be bitter and fight one another. The weapons of our warfare aren't carnal. Keep your peace and let the Lord fight for you. And the last couple words are, um, we've still got call, describe, and name. In Isaiah 45, 4, For Jacob my servant's sake, and Israel mine elect, I have even called thee by thy name, I have surnamed thee, though thou hast not known me. Yep, you're named. You have the Lord's name on your forehead, and your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And the last couple were put forth, speak, tell, and utter. So, that is the, the word elect, and that's what you are. I'm going to do one more example of uh, the children of Israel and how the Lord moved for them. I'm going to tell a personal story about how I used this moment in the word in my own life and how I claimed a victory. So we're going to go to Joshua 6.1. Now Jericho was straightly shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said unto Joshua, See, I have given into thine hand Jericho, and the king thereof, and the mighty men of valor. Ye shall compass the city, all ye men of war, and go round about the city once. Thus shalt thou do six days, 
And the seven priests shall bear before the ark seven trumpets of ram's horns. And the seventh day you shall come past the city seven times, and the priests shall blow with the trumpets. And it shall come to pass that when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and we, when ye hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city shall fall down flat, and the people shall ascend up every man straight before him. So then we'll go ahead to verse 12. And Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord, and the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns, before the ark of the Lord went on continually, and blew with the trumpets, and the armed men went before them. But the re-reward came after the ark of the Lord, the priests going on and blowing with the trumpets. And the second day they compassed the city once and returned into the camp. So they did six days. And it came to pass on the seventh day that they rose early, about the dawning of the day, and compassed the city after the same manner seven times. Only on that day they compassed the city seven times. And it came to pass at the seventh time when the priests blew the trumpets, Joshua said unto the people, Shout, for the Lord hath given you the city, and the city shall be accursed, even it and all that are therein, to the Lord. Only Rahab and the harlot shall live, she and all that are with her in her house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. Again, I would encourage you to read the whole story. It's, it's awesome. And ye, in any wise, keep yourselves from the accursed thing. Yep, remember, you've got to stay Stay pure, you need to stay focused on the Lord, lest ye make yourselves accursed. Don't partake in the world. When ye take of that accursed thing and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it, but all the silver and gold and vessels of brass and iron are consecrated unto the Lord, they shall come into the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted when the priests blew with the trumpets, and it came to pass when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, and the people shouted with a great shout, that the wall fell down flat, so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. And they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and woman, young and old, and ox and sheep and ass with the edge of the sword. They got absolute victory. And one thing to take note is the Lord doesn't use a lot of words. He uses the right targeted words. With the Lord, you spend these seven days waiting and praying and obeying spend all the time being before him and listening. And when he tells you, a single word is all you need, a single shout from the Lord that's just predestined for you to do, that's going to save a soul and change the course of someone's life. So stand still, keep your peace, and see the Lord, and he will break down all the walls before you. So the story we just read in Joshua, I incorporated in my own life, and it was about um, about two years ago, a little over two years, and uh, the company I was working at went under, so we were just kind of sitting there in the meeting room, and they went, uh, we're, we're all out of money, so you guys are out of the job. Um, the Lord worked a miracle with it, though, where they went, you get three months severance and a bonus at the end of it. <laughs> like, wow. It's not a bad way to start uh, no job, being unemployed. So my wife and I got together and we, um, we claimed it was, I get my last paycheck on October 31st. This is again, I, I documented this stuff. And we, my wife and I claimed that we wouldn't miss a single tithe payment. And my wife reminded me of this before, which I did forget about. 
we also claimed that the number remained the same or was higher. So we're not going to miss a single tithe payment, and we're going to get same or better right by the time this thing ends. And the deadline was October 31st. So the Lord, you know, sometimes he won't stick to a time, but man, when it comes to tithe, I, he honored this prayer. So we're, we'll see. We'll see how this plays out as I continue. But at first, um, I was unemployed. I'm sitting there at home. I busied myself. That was the first thing I did. I, I applied. I'm going to apply for all these jobs. I'm going to uh, what can I do? And I started a side project with some co-workers from that company. Just was super busy doing my own thing, my own mind. Nothing was getting any traction at all. I heard it was just quiet. No job offers, no nothing. You start to get a little nervous. You're like, uh-oh, it's, it's dark. I've tapped into every resource I can think of. So I'm like, well, okay, so my way is not working. So I slowed down and I got quiet. And then I was able to actually start listening to that still small voice and talking to the Lord. And when I started to do that, I got Joshua 6, what we just read. I was like, okay, there was that one where the walls fall down and they, and then I like dug in and researched it, looked it up. And I read that and I went, okay, Lord, that worked for them. I want my work walls to fall down. So I'm going to walk. And I felt led to walk around my apartment complex seven times for seven days to bring down the walls of my job opportunities. And uh, I stood on the word that just started the process. I went on those, on the seventh day, I was just like, the walls are down, I'm gonna get my job. But it was still some weeks, some weeks and weeks went by. But what that started was the walking and talking and being quiet. That's what started that off. So I just kind of all of a sudden went, you know what? I'm not done now that these seven days are over. I'm going to keep walking. So I spent my three months being quiet. I even felt led to stop applying for jobs and instead go on these walks. And that's after these walls fell down. So I started to tap into him more and more and incorporated him into my life. And my walk started to get longer and longer. And then I just started craving him. I just wanted to hang out with the Lord. It's like, I want my Lord time. And I... I started to get prophecies for myself. Just the Lord was just telling me how much he loved me and just was giving me this peace and calm. I, uh, one time when I was prophesying, one of the words I got was fast. It's like, I love thee, my son, and thou dost do everything that I will of thee, and thy fast is perfect before me. And it was along those lines. And I was like, whoa, fast? Okay. So I went home and talked to my wife about that. And we went, you know what? We do feel led to go on a fast. And so, it, I mean, if you've ever tried a fast before, I don't know, there's a fast of your mind where you're just like, oh, I'm so hungry. I could just, it's like a little pretzel there. You accidentally pick it up and find it moving towards your mouth. You're like, no, I'm on a fast. I can't eat that. <laughs> this was anointed like we have never seen before. We didn't desire food. We had no cravings. It just felt absolutely perfect. And during this fast, on one of my walks, I felt the Lord move. It just clicked on one of the walks. All of a sudden, I felt a wave of peace go through me. And I just went, I, I mean, I had the biggest smile on my, people were looking at me as I was walking. My smile was so big. And because uh, I was just grinning ear to ear because the Lord got me my job. He told me, and I knew it inside and out. I was like, I haven't been applying for any work. 
but I knew he did it for me. And I was like, I got my job. It's all taken care of. I don't have to worry about a thing. And pretty soon after that, I got a job offer. And then I got another one. And I had to then exercise patience again, rein it back and go, all right, now which one of these jobs do I take? And I had to pray about that too. And I ended up picking the one that um, was about a third of the pay, but it had the peace of the Lord about it. So this one had was offering a ton of money. It was just, it would have been a job. But I was like, okay, so which one do you want me to do, Lord? And I went where the peace was. And the Lord ended up getting me two raises in three months' time at this new job. And I ended up making more money than I was originally offered by the other company in record time. So again, it didn't matter what it looked like. The Lord honored it and blessed it. I'm still there today. I've even gotten a fellow man of God with me. We work there together. It's awesome. And this was because of I just incorporated the Lord. I stood on the word and I was patient and the walls came down and the Lord moved on behalf of his elect. The last little piece of that too being October 31st was the deadline for the last paycheck. November 1st is when I started my new job. (laughs) And the two weeks after starting, the day after my last paycheck, I got that paycheck. It was two the day perfectly and the tie check was the exact same number (laughs) it was to the day and it was the same number so yeah the lord he moves for his elect and he does answer every prayer so uh the last scripture i I guess i have two more it's isaiah 42 1 behold my servant whom i uphold mine elect in whom my soul delighteth i have put my spirit upon him He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not cry, nor lift up, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. So that, again, we're not out rioting or being unpeaceable. We stand quietly and patiently and press into the Lord and wait for his leading. A bruised reed shall he not break, and the smoking flax shall he not quench. He shall bring forth judgment unto truth. He shall not fail nor be discouraged till he have set judgment in the earth, and the isles shall wait for his law. And that's speaking of Jesus Christ. Again, Isaiah prophesying of Jesus. And he's within us, and we get to be and act and live just like him, because he's within us. So God's elect want for nothing and win every fight. He told me this morning too, um, you're called for hearing it. So when you have the opportunity to give the word of encouragement or... I mean, even hearing this, if this is the first time you've heard the scriptures, you're called for hearing it. You are chosen for believing it, and you are elect for overcoming and continuing in it. Let's turn to Romans 8:37. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Jesus Christ of Nazareth makes us conquerors of the flesh every day. God fights for his elect, so press into him, overcome, be obedient, keep it simple, and get yourself out of the equation. Do what the Lord asks of you. Uh, Remember the effectual fervent prayers of a righteous man availeth much. So pray, and they are going to get answered. It makes a big difference, so make sure you are praying. Your words shall never fall to the ground. You shall never fail, because the Lord fights for his elect. God bless you much, and Lord bless you. I hope that blessed you and encourages you 
to seek God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your strength. And I just want to thank all the guest ministers that I am privileged to be able to bring forward. Our dear friend Trish, who has lived a life of faith, that exciting life of faith, and walks in the the truth of God's word every single second of every single day. And then our beloved friend Gregory. And isn't it wonderful that the Lord allows us to have our individual personalities and and be exactly who he created us to be. So I just want to thank our guest ministers. We, we bring a, a lot of different personalities here on Get Your Love On because we know this goes internationally and we know that the truth of God's word is never in a box. It's always freely given out. So let's move forward in the grace of God. Let's seek God for all things with all our heart, all our mind, and all our strength. And let's ask him, Lord, what more do you have for me? And in that, then strengthen the brethren. Thank you so much for being here. This show is dedicated to the family of faith around the globe. You can go all, uh, get all the show archives at getyourloveon.org. And then, of course, the podcast is always available on iTunes, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Road to righteousness tends to be long. So keep your love on, on. Crack yourself a smile or sing a song But I keep my love on Man or woman, man or woman who is so down Try keep your love on, on Sons and daughters, sons and daughters of the one true God Keep your love on Keep your love on, child Let it shine bright Bright, bright Keep your love on, 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 on Don't let it die, don't let it die Don't let it die, no, no Wrong. I keep my love on If I were you And I'm a simple singer But my heart and mind are strong I keep my love on Yes I do You must dream and color Ask your questions Cause life does not give honorable mentions Thinking more than two dimensions In case your tightrope loses tension Ever you need a friend mm, You know I will And I'll be here too To lend a friendly hand So you, so you can keep your love on child. Let it shine bright Bright, bright I keep my love on 
Ready to 